couple weeks ago, when we were in chapter 5 of Hebrews, the author said, I've got a whole lot more to share about the fact that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, but uh, you guys have grown a little dull of hearing, and so challenged us, laid down the gauntlet. Uh, he wants to tell us more about the significance of the fact that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he waited until chapter 7 to get into it, but he does that today. I want to start, however, back in Psalms, Psalm 110, a psalm of King David. David was also a prophet, and sometimes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would prophesy. And in this psalm, it's called a messianic psalm because he prophesies about the coming Messiah, the priest king. In Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, we, we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I have to believe that for a thousand years, this was penned a thousand years before Christ, I got to figure for a thousand years, this was a head scratcher for the Jewish theologians. Because a priest in the order of Melchizedek, what in the world does this mean? Melchizedek is an obscure character that shows up only once in the Old Testament for only two verses. Turn, if you would, if you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 14. Abraham has is returning from having um, fought a battle with King Chedorlaomer, who had stolen uh, Abraham's wives and Lot and his wives and a bunch of Abraham's servants. And he took some men and he went and he uh, got his people and stuff back and he's on his way home. And two kings come out to visit him. One's the king of Sodom, and the other is Melchizedek, king of Salem. Here's what we read. Genesis 14, 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's it. That's the only time Melchizedek is mentioned in the scriptures until Psalm 110, in which David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prophesies that the Messiah will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so you got to figure Jewish theologians for a thousand years scratched their heads and thought, what in the world does this mean? Because... The only priests they knew about were descendants of Levi, right? All priests in Israel came from the tribe of Levi. There are 12 tribes. One of them, only one of them, was allowed to produce priests. And the high priests always came from Aaron. And so it was considered the Aaronic priesthood, the order of Aaron. So what are you saying? The, the, the Messiah is going to be priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, that's what Hebrews chapters 7 and 8 uh, talk about. They describe, explain why Jesus is uh, a priest in the order of Melchizedek and its significance for us. So now turn in, in your Bibles, if you would, to today's text. Uh, we are uh, in chapter 7 and 8 of Hebrews. I'll start in verse, uh, the last verse of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus, 
has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, Christian theologians have wondered whether the author of Hebrews had special knowledge of Melchizedek. And based on this, you know, without father or mother, neither beginning of days nor end of life, it wondered, is this a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus? Is this Melchizedek, uh, like superhuman? Is it Jesus before Jesus uh, came to earth in Palestine? And so that is, a, that is a theory that circulates out there. The other understanding is this, the one that I, makes more sense to me, which is the only thing we know about Melchizedek in the, in the Bible is what I read to you from Genesis, in which Melchizedek's parents are not named. It's not said where he was born or when he died. And in that sense, Melchizedek's... Um, authorization as a priest uh, has nothing to do with his lineage and his ancestry, which was had everything to do with the priests of Israel, right? You could not be a priest if you couldn't demonstrate that you were from the tribe of Levi. You could not be a high priest if you could not demonstrate that you came from Aaron. In fact, when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, a number of the priests uh, were excluded because they did not have accurate or sufficient genealogical records. So here's Melchizedek, and it the Bible just says he's a priest and doesn't try to uh, uh, qualify him based on his genealogy. So similarly, it seems that the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, look, um, what, what qualified him? What qualified him was his character. If you... Um, If you look at verse 15 and 16 of chapter 7, here's what it says about Jesus. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. What qualifies Jesus as the high priest of God? Well, the fact that God brought him forth from the dead. The fact that he rose from the dead has an indestructible life life. Well, what's the point of all this? Well, for a Jew, this is ridiculously significant because a change in priesthood meant a change in the religious system. If the if God is now relating to people, not through the Aaronic priesthood, but through the Melchizedekian priesthood, well, that means the entire religious system of Israel is changing. And that's exactly uh, what we read in verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And then he gets even more pointed in chapter 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old 
is ready to vanish away. Think of the significance of this for a Jew. The entire religious system of Israel is now obsolete. All of the Levitical priests are out of a job. Isn't that amazing? The sacrificial system, it's no longer in play. God is now saving the world through a different priesthood. And it's, it's a completely different order. It's the order of Melchizedek. God is now saving the world through his son Jesus, through the Messiah. And the entire uh, Jewish religious system is now obsolete. You feel that? I mean, part of Israel, a massive, I don't know about massive, but a significant part of Israel's economy uh, operated on the, on the uh, sacrificial system. All the buying and selling of animals, that's all just over. Th- this is just, for, for a Jewish Christian, this is just shocking. Wow. <laughs> the old religious system is now over. God is going is has instituted a completely new religious system. Why? Why was this why did this happen? Why was this necessary? What was wrong with the uh the Jewish system, the Aaronic priesthood, the Mosaic law, the old covenant? Well, here was the issue. Chapter 7 verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? So the issue is, the the old religious system didn't perfect anything. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Let me hit a couple more uh, points here. Verse 18, for on, or verses, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. And then chapter 8, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So here's the thing. Uh, the old religious system of the Mosaic law, the sacrificial system, the uh, priests of the Levitical priests. It didn't perfect anything. It didn't bring to pass. Here's what that means. It did not bring to pass God's ultimate desire. God's plan could not be fully enacted, fully brought about through the old religious system. And here, here's what that means. Number one, Number one, God wanted people to obey him from the heart. He wanted everyone who bore his name to internalize his law, to come to a place where they said, you know what, give me free choice and I'm going to do what God says because I have come to see that it's good, it's better, it's best I know it's the right thing. I know it's the best thing for me, and I'm going to do it from, from the heart. But that was not the case for many in Israel. Many of those who uh, bore the name of God in the world 
uh, only obeyed out of duty and out of fear and because there was social pressure to do so, but not because they really wanted to. Um, Secondly, God wanted everyone who bore his name to have a personal relationship with him. And for many Jews, they didn't. Not really. They, they didn't have a real relationship with him. Uh, secondly, God's relationship with the Israelites under the old system was always um, Im- somewhat impersonal. It was mediated by a human. So you were always one step removed. You could never come into the holy of holies for sure. And you couldn't come into the holy place unless you were a priest. And you couldn't, if you were a woman, you couldn't come into the court of the, uh, with, of the men. And if you were a Gentile, you couldn't even come into the court of the women. So you were always removed relationally. There was a barrier. And that wasn't God's ultimate desire. God's desire was for a personal relationship with everyone who bore his name. And then ultimately, uh, under the old system, your sins could be covered but not forgiven. The blood of animals does not pay the penalty for human sin. It merely covers it so that God can relate to you. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't forgive anything. And God's ultimate, ultimate desire is for his people to be fully and finally forgiven of their sins so that he can relate um, to them without any obstacles, any barriers at all. And so the problem with the old religious system is it, it never completed, it never perfected God's ultimate plan. It couldn't bring it, it couldn't bring God's ultimate vision to pass. And therefore it had to be, um, become obsolete. It had to be changed. It had to be superseded. And, and this isn't some new idea. God had been promising this to his people for many, many years. We've already read Psalm uh, 110. And then in chapter 8, uh, we read Jeremiah 31. The prophet Jeremiah had prophesied um, a new covenant, a new agreement God was going to make with his people. Chapter 8, starting in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. There's the first thing. So the the new covenant that is inaugurated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is better. 722. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What we're getting in Jesus is something better than we had. And then in 8 verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Uh, remember, Hebrews is written to Christians who are tempted to return to the bosom of Judaism because they're undergoing persecution, and they're like, well, hey, uh, if we just, why can't we relate to God through kind of the old system? It's been around for a couple thousand years, and the world has accepted it, and we're not going to be persecuted if we do that. Well, it's become obsolete, and what you have in Jesus is better. You don't want to give up what's better. All right, three reasons the new covenant is better. Number one, God writes his law on our heart. Chapter 8, verse 10. 
I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Uh, Every person who bears the name of God, which is the Christian, because the people of God post the Messiah are those who follow the Messiah, the Christian. And so every Christian has the law of God written on their minds and on their hearts. And we obey because over time, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we begin to see the wisdom and the goodness of God's ways. And we begin to respond now, uh, but in eternity we will have that. Uh, We will respond perfectly, which means given the choice, we will do it God's way because we value it. We see its wisdom and goodness. Uh, Secondly, the new covenant is better uh, because everyone has a personal relationship with God. Uh, No one who is, no one who bears the name of God doesn't know God. Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, which was the case in Israel, right? In Israel, uh, the people of God, there were many who did not know the Lord. But they won't have to do that with the new people of God. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So everyone has a personal relationship with God, plus there is no barrier. We relate to God through the Son of God. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We relate to God personally. Um, earlier uh, in this book, we had seen that we we are invited into the very presence of God because the righteousness of Christ is ours and our sins have been forgiven based on his uh, death. And then finally, the new covenant is better because our sins are forgiven. They're not just covered. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Uh, There's no need year after year after year to have sacrifices go up to kind of cover the stench of our sins. Rather, elsewhere in the scriptures it says, our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. They are remembered no more. And we stand completely forgiven. Why? Because Christ's sacrificial death on the cross is considered complete and full payment for our sin. The new covenant, what we have as Christians, is so much better than what God's people had pre-Christ. And so, at a minimum, we need to respond today with thankfulness, right? Thank you. Let me go to verse 23 of chapter 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, Muslims honor Christ. They say, yeah, Jesus was a prophet of God. But 600 years later, God advanced his purposes through the prophet Muhammad. And so they, they have this understanding of kind of God continues to reveal a better plan for humanity and that the ultimate revelation is found in Muhammad's uh, prophet, 
profitness. But Scripture says Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. He continues forever. Mormons have a similar teaching. Jesus, yeah, he was a prophet of God, but God advanced his purposes in 1850-some here in the United States through Joseph Smith. And uh, so Joseph Smith inaugurated something even better for humanity. That, that is not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is Jesus Christ has become a permanent priest. God foretold thousands of years before Christ that he was going to inaugurate something better for his people. And it was a priesthood. The Lord, I'm in verse 20, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. God is saving humanity through one priest, Jesus. Muhammad has not advanced the purposes of God. He is a false teacher. It is a false religion. Joseph Smith has not advanced the purposes of God. He is a false teacher. It is a false religion. Jesus Christ is the only priest through which God is saving humanity. He is a priest forever. God has sworn this. There will be no advancement. The only advancement is when the, when the Son of the living God comes back to earth and takes home with him those who are his followers. We Christians are exclusive, not because we're mean-spirited, but because we try to deal faithfully with the Word of God, which says, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And yet it also says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. If anyone opens the door, I'll enter in and sup with him. In other words, God's salvation is for all humanity. There is no one God is excluding, and yet uh, we must, however, come to God through his, through his high priest, Jesus. I want to end with verse 25 of chapter 7. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Not if you try to draw near to God through someone other than Jesus, but if you will draw near to God through Jesus he will save you to the uttermost, since he always lives to make intercession. Jesus Christ is alive today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession on, the, on behalf of those who draw near to God through him. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to bring fully to pass God's good plan for you. Are you willing to draw near to him? Near to God through him. And you know what? As Christians, uh, we're saved, but we have more saving we need, right? Not our souls and whether we're going to heaven or not. But I'll tell you, I need transformed. Uh, I, need, I need to become more like Jesus in many different ways. I need to be saved. I want to be saved to the uttermost. Will I draw near to God through Christ day by day by day? Let's pray. Lord God, what a privilege it is to live in the church age where we can be beneficiaries of a better covenant. The new system is awesome. 
You are writing your law upon our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out. We have a personal relationship with you. Our sins are fully forgiven. And Lord, may we enter fully into this inheritance that we have in Christ, and then may we be bold in sharing it with others. May we care enough about other people that we are courageously inviting them to enjoy the things of God through his son, Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Amen.